I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Your source for big game talk. It's off tackle. Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the train that keeps on chugging, despite, uh, well, despite, let's see. Despite cracking a a couple boilers here and there. Yeah, let's see. (laughs) I'm going to make a bold prediction, and I'll say that football's been canceled by the time this comes out. Yeah, most likely, although this, well, I guess this and the Purdue, or the Indiana episode, rather, will come out in the same week. Um, with that being said, we're recording this about two weeks before then, right? I believe so, yeah. Have to be because next week is yeah. next week is uh, new new, um, which is how I felt when we were talking about those awful teams. So new 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 new. Yeah, pretty good chance that by the time this would be dropping, the season will be canceled. But you know, we'll talk to the rest of the staff and maybe just do them anyway. I mean, what else are we doing with our spare time right now? Because uh, if the football season is canceled, playing JRPGs. It's true. I found an absolutely delightful one. I don't really? know you. Well, so, okay. I should probably qualify this. I don't think you would call it a JRPG exactly. Um, you can play it on PC, though. It's called Bug Fables. Uh, I heartily recommend it. If you ever, I know you never played the Paper Mario games. Yeah, but, but I know that Super Mario RPG was developed by Squaresoft, and I will play absolutely anything that they make. Even Air Guys. <laughs> Maybe even The Bouncer. So, anyway. I would suggest that. I finished it a couple weeks ago. It's probably like... 30 to 35 hours, so you can get it done in a couple weeks. I finally played Undertale. You can get through that in six hours easily, but it's so much fun. Like, the combat system is actually pretty interesting because it's less of an RPG and more... Like, it's an RPG, but the combat system is kind of like one of those shoot-em-up games, like, where you control a plane and you have to dodge all the bullets. Interesting. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting, and it's really funny because it's kind of a deconstruction of the whole genre. But uh, anyway, all this is us the next to, one. The next yeah. one I want to play is Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden, <laughs> which is a sequel, an unofficial sequel to Barkley Shut Up and Jam for the Genesis. <laughs> you could probably find it at RetroTaku. Um, anyway, all of this is us trying to find ways to to address what happened last year. So. We, we said probably every time we talked about Purdue, because it was impossible not to, all right, look, this team has been obliterated by injuries. Um, what really are you going to do when you've got an already thin roster without a whole lot of impact upperclassmen, and then all those guys get hurt? Um, and they've recruited good, but not so good that those classes are ready to instantly come in and take over. Like, that doesn't happen in football. You can't play a team of all freshmen and sophomores and be good. Of course, they had problems before then because they were also obliterated by Malik Henry. Now, I've since seen Last Chance You all the seasons, and what I can say is, how did you lose to a guy that can only be motivated for, like, two minutes a game? I mean, like, I have a feeling that the guy was shit-talking his coaches in the huddle as he went down to throw the game-winning touchdown. Like, 
you, you get like a few drives out of him where he respects you and then he turns on you and that's it. How did Purdue not manage to weather that particular storm? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so there's the season opening loss to Nevada, which is probably the easiest game in a difficult non-conference schedule. It was tough to be sure. I mean, I think that went up as uh, either number three or number two on our dick trips of the year. Yeah. It was a top five for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's still a game you should win, even going out west. For that's some a game reason. you should win when you have a 24-7 to lead late yeah. in the third quarter. Yeah. Um, they did beat Vanderbilt, but they also made the mistake of playing TCU, which isn't has fallen from the heights they were at earlier this decade, but they're still a tough team. Yeah, haven't fallen um, that far. Still substantially more talented on the field. The Vanderbilt win didn't age well either. No, no, Vanderbilt was really bad. If they lost, I mean... That being said, Purdue might have still been in contention to win six games had they not suffered all the injuries that they did, including yeah. injuries to Rondale Moore, uh, as Elijah, well as Elijah Sindelar. Elijah Sindelar. Um, and then even the backup. Yeah, then the backup, Jack Plummer, got hurt towards the end of the season. But, I mean, they lost Lorenzo Neal. They lost... Marcus Bailey. Yeah. So, it like, really most of their they best players. Who is their running back that they lost to? Tario Fuller, yeah. um, he was he was not exactly an established star, but their run game really needed a guy like him. So, um, yeah, and, you know, Minnesota fans will probably be on our mentions before this even drops, chortling about how we're not genuflecting to Fleck appropriately anytime we say anything positive about Jeff Grom. But I do still regard it as a credit to him that even losing your starter after week two and then losing another quarterback with three games to go, he still got better than capable quarterback play all season. Absolutely. Um, plenty of teams fold like a cheap suit if the starter gets hurt. He had his backup get hurt as well. Um, they also lost, again, an all-world wide receiver in Rondale Moore. And they still made the offense work reasonably well. They didn't have a Yeah, that's the thing. They were still fun to watch. Like, outside of games when they got caught in a monsoon, which... I love how Illinois fans are talking about how beatable Purdue is, considering that we got the only <laughs> weather conditions that makes their offense stop dead yeah. Yeah. to beat them. But outside of that game, their offense was very functional for yeah. the remainder we, of the year, even we, as they lost starters. Yeah, and we did comment last year that this bad these bad weather struggles are something they're going to have to figure out because they play in central Indiana. Like yeah. there, there's going to be bad weather, especially in the back half of the season when the games are more important. So how about this move the schedule to start in February. Like we've been talking about Jesus. Now we're talking about, <laughs> now you're talking Purdue about in, a, in the, in the late winter and early spring. Now you're talking about a one win team. If they have to yeah. play all their games Absolutely. outside of those conditions. Um, so, yeah, you know, they, they had three different quarterbacks throw for at least 400 yards in a game last year. Wow. There are I wonder if that's st- ever been done. I'm sure I, that it has I mean, at... Maybe like an air raid school or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure that Michigan State has not had three quarterbacks throw for 400 yards ever. Because Lewerke broke that record, the single game record, a couple years ago. He had two 400-yard games in... The 2017 season, and but he, and Connor Cook was where they lost us. One of them might have been. Yeah, that's the thing. You throw no, for, actually, yeah, one of throwing them. for a high number of yardage doesn't necessarily have anything to do with winning, as evidenced by the two current record holders for single game yardage, Patrick Mahomes and Connor Halliday, <laughs> who both threw for 734 yards in a loss. Uh, that's just wild to me. I, 
And Patrick Mahomes is head coach from that game, who again went five and seven with Patrick Mahomes, got fired, and is now an NFL head coach. So yeah, it's an NFL head coach and a quarterback that just got paid half a billion dollars. So every, basically everybody, every alumnus of that situation is now wildly successful. You would have figured they won the national title. No, they threw for 734 yards in a two-score loss to Oklahoma. Yeah, that's just that's wild to me still. Um, so anyway, um, looking a little bit at what we expect this year. Sindelar is now retired. He he would have been their quarterback again this year, but he had an accumulation of injuries and multiple concussions, I believe, that yeah, prompted well, him to hang I mean, up, which he is... He was playing behind the line that was left over from Daryl Hazel. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the fact that David Blau is still alive and kicking is a miracle, frankly. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing, man. You know... The offensive line you has were gonna, to be... No matter who the quarterback was, they were going to get injured. Yeah. And again, to Brown's credit, he had the backups ready to go. Uh, He's—I haven't really heard much of it. Like the last chatterings I heard, which again was pre-COVID, was that actually it's Aiden O'Connell who has kind of the inside track. He ended the season as the starter. Jack Plummer obviously will still be in that picture, but it's really those two guys. The next guy in line, Nick Sipe, I think also either retired or transferred. I don't think he's with them anymore though. So they're going to have to keep at least one of those guys healthy. Um, the running game was, again, not great. They have a promising recruit in Tarek Murphy coming in who might help them right uh, immediately right there. But honestly, this offense is going to be substantially better if they just get a healthy season out of Rondale Moore. Um, well, you know, and here's a, here's a big difference when you talk about Jeff Brown's Western Kentucky teams because you had Brandon Dowdy and Mike White, yeah. and they dropped back a lot. And they got hit a lot, but they didn't get hit by that many, you know, top five NFL draft picks. Yeah, they're, they're they didn't. Not getting... They were in this. They were in what Western Kentucky's in Conference USA. I believe so. So it's not to say that they don't have some very physical players, but like you're playing against surefire NFL guys in the Big Ten. Yeah, you're not getting hit by you know Wisconsin linebackers, Iowa linebackers. So you drop back, and then you have things that take a while to develop. You're going to get hit a lot. Yeah, and that's. You know, that's where you're going to need depth at quarterback. Speaking of getting hit a lot, um, defensively. Oof. They, they ended up firing Nick Holt after some underwhelming results. The first, so the first year he was there, he kind of made chicken salad out of chicken shit a little bit. They Absolutely. We gave him a ton of credit for that. He was not able to sustain that, though. And again, we talk all the time about, you know, when you have a program that bombs out, the problem for the new coach is not usually year one, because typically you are going to have experience, if nothing else. The problem is the last recruiting classes of a failed regime are always problems. Yep, <laughs> and 2015 was a big problem for Purdue on yeah. defense, and last year was 2019 when they would have been seniors. Yeah. So that cost Nick Holt's job. That's just kind of the nature of the business sometimes. Um, the good thing is, though, you have that a four and eight season after back to back bowl seasons. Somebody's going to be fired. Yeah, and it's not going to, you know. Might not Brom, be fair. Brom has his hands all over the offense, so who is there to blame? And again, the offense was really the better side of the ball by a not slim margin. So, in order to, you know, in order to bail the water out of the hole on this and get everything running ship shape again, 
Brom turns to a well-known and highly respected entity around these parts, at least in the Big Ten West, in Bob Diaco. Wow, I forgot about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bob me Diaco too. Was, was last together. seen um, blaming the players for not running his schemes properly as the interim defensive coordinator for Nebraska. Prior to that, he was seen attempting to make a rivalry with UCF as the head coach of UConn. Uh, yeah, Bob Diaco is the civil conflict guy. Yeah. So I want to see the. I I just want to see him <coughs> make a trophy for Rutgers or Maryland. Just please give me this one thing. I so in these uncertain times, I'm trying to be positive about as many things as I can. It, it is fair to say that Purdue has brought in a lot of good recruits on defense. They have a really good pass rush combo with Derek Barnes and George Karlaftis, who looks like the next great Purdue defensive lineman. Um, they have more strong Brom recruits like Marvin Grant. He's a former four-star safety from right here in Detroit who should be ready to contribute next year. They got a transfer from UConn and Tyler Coyle. He's actually really good. Yes, now staying the fact that he played at UConn, they have good players occasionally. Um, so he's going to stabilize a secondary that needs a lot of help. The Purdy Rough Trophy. Okay. Between Purdue and Rutgers, because the gameplay is Purdy Rough. I hate you so much. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, so I, I guess what I'm saying is maybe there's enough talent here that he can't screw it up, but there's really there's not quite enough talent here that he can't screw this up. It that doesn't. I don't know what the thought process there is. I really don't. Um, but. Stranger things have happened, you know. There, once upon a time, after his time at Texas, wasn't Manny Diaz panned as, like, one of the most hated guys? And he's rehabilitated his career, at least as a defensive mind. Didn't really work out, you know, the head coaching thing just yet. But I guess we'll see how that goes. And Manny, Manny Diaz... Uh, he, was, he was hated by Texas fans towards the end of Mac Brown's run, wasn't really? he? I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering something Manny Diaz there, was, Yeah, uh, Yeah, there were mixed feelings about him. I, I know I get my Texas insights... Or I used to get my Texas inf- insights from Prevail and Rise. Or Prevail and Ride. My goodness. So... <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so... There, the good thing about having a super injured, very young team is you can usually expect substantial improvement next year. So let's take a look at this schedule and see if it offers a good grief. They scheduled Memphis. Whoops. Uh, and also Air Force without a bye before or after. And then after Air Force, they go to Boston College. Um, oh. Y'all are going to be dead by October. If well, I mean, Boston happens. College is definitely rebuilding. It, yeah, but you have to imagine that with the position and style that Steve Adazio left them in, they're still going to be a run-heavy team. Like the, They're going to run the ball at you 50 times. The, the Packers decided, yes, I will absolutely pay double sticker value for a heavily used A.J. Dillon. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, it wasn't have, the worst pick they made. Lol. They still have that Bailey guy, though, don't they? Boston College, I mean. Oh, I'm talking about... Um, wait. The running back... Isn't that wasn't Bay, like David Bailey or something going to be the next Boston College running back to get a jillion carries? Was he after Dylan? I wasn't sure if it was him or Patrick Garwell. Yeah, uh, you could be right. I don't know. Um, anyway, Patrick Garwell was one of the several you know future stars I drafted in my college fantasy keeper league. Uh, one of which was Tavian Thomas, who failed out of Cincinnati. We had an interesting thing happen because we traded Kylan Hill for a second rounder. 
And then he went on to say, I'm not playing unless you change the state flag of Mississippi. And it would have been really funny had that not happened and he decided to not play so we get a second rounder for free. But then they actually changed the Mississippi state flag instead. We also had uh, Chuba Hubbard's backup, Chuba Hubbard's backup. So when he got pissed at Mike Gundy, the reaction was immediately, oh boy, we have his backup. He's going to get a lot of carries now. Let the hate flow through you. <laughs> um, all right, so... Fantasy football makes you a degenerate. That, that yeah, that's what happens just from saying the words Boston College running back situation. So um, the crossovers aren't bad. You know, the trip to Michigan is going to be a near certain loss. But look, you also get Rutgers. You play Indiana every year, which is good, but still a middle-of-the-road East team. Um, Indiana is human is the point. Yes, if you're a West team and you only get one of what I refer to as the smashy three of the East, then you've done pretty, you've gotten a pretty good draw in the crossovers. That's how I put it. If Which are those? Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. For yeah. most West teams, any of those three is bad news. Absolutely. If you, if you avoid all three of them, that's you, again, you're rolling boxcars, but if you only get one of them, I think you take that and move on. Whereas if you look at the schedule and it's like, Ohio State at Penn State. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2020, like that, that's what's going to suck about when this season gets canceled is Illinois has only Ohio State of those. Then they have Rutgers and in Indiana. Would have been a bowl season for sure. Um, all right. So that being said, with this schedule, you got to return to a bowl here, don't you? More or less. The pro- and again, the problem is. That non-conference is difficult. Like, Memphis lost some impressive weapons, but Kenneth Gainwell is one of the better young running backs in the country. Is their quarterback returning, or did he... Uh, Brady White? Yeah. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, and he threw for, what, like 4,500 yards or something? So, something along those lines. Um, they're going to be this high-flying box of firecrackers that they have been. Um, Purdue will score on them, don't get me wrong, but you, I hesitate to but get they will into, be scored back upon. Yeah, the thing is, Purdue's style play is also what Memphis wants to do. So that's going to be a difficult game. It's going to be a fun game to watch, but not if you're a Purdue fan. And you got to go from that to Air Force. So, <laughs> so good luck with that is all I'm saying. Um, all right, let's pivot to basketball. And, uh, you know, Indiana fans are probably going to wonder what they ever did to me. What I, to me, But uh, I'm going to pose a question. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I don't know who this insults more, which is my favorite kind of question. Purdue and Indiana last year. What? (laughs) No way. 
I am very much in love with my new computer because a power failure did not stop it from recording. Like, I lost power here, had to go in and get my charging cord, and guess what? All the devices are still running through my virtual audio mixer. Audacity is still recording. I haven't pressed any buttons. I just picture the scene from Remember the Titans when they're at the camp and the one player wants water. And so Denzel Washington's character says, water is for cowards. You know, that with power. Power is for cowards. Power makes you weak. Mm. <laughs> um, all right, so... Oh, well, I got it hooked up to the IV here. All right, well, let me, uh, let me reboot that question I was starting to ask you there. So, Indiana and Purdue finished tied for 10th place in the Big Ten basketball standings last year. Who had the more disappointing season? You know, that's tough to answer because there wasn't an NCAA tournament. Although, would Purdue have made it? No. No, no, not without a deep run into the Big Ten tournament, no. I don't, at least, I don't think so. You know what? Let me look at their overall record here. I think, not not because there wasn't an NCAA tournament, because there wasn't a Big Ten tournament. They finished, so, not without at least making the finals of the Big Ten tournament. They finished the season 16-15. and 9-11 in the Big Ten. They have some impressive wins, they do. And but we'll talk about that in a second. they got in the non-conference. Uh, yeah, well, they, I mean, they lost a few games. That I think they still ended up, that would be, what, an 8-4 and four record in the non-con? So teams have done worse, and well, I don't know if teams have done worse and made it in the tournament. Um, I do not think Purdue would have been a tournament team without winning the Big yeah, Ten. No, absolutely not. I was remembering that wrong. Nope. Um, <clears throat> so let's let's presume, for purposes of this question, that both teams missed the tournament. Yeah. God, that's hard to say because Indiana, you know, was building on a season, right, where, you know, and then they were getting this influx of talent. I'd argue that it's Purdue because I think they returned more. Remember Purdue lost Carson Edwards from the year before. That's true, but I still think they returned more. What did they return that they can really rely on, though? They returned, I'll tell, well, all right. I asked the question because... So it, on paper, it seems like an easy question because of the degree Purdue fell back. They went from winning a share of a conference title to 10th place. That's a big step backwards, even losing a guy like Carson Edwards. Indiana, I don't remember exactly where they finished the year before, but they were projecting to do better than they did. They had the talent to do a lot better. Um, they brought in the conference's best recruit, I believe, at least rankings-wise, I don't know where Coburn ended up being, but I'm pretty sure Jackson Davis was ranked oh, higher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, they had, got, and they, got, and they, well, the other thing is, Indiana had six players who were four or five stars in high school on their roster. Whew. That's an extremely talented team. Um, they got like leapfrog by Rutgers and <clears throat> Iowa and Illinois, um, Maryland. Well, yeah, and Maryland. In Maryland, you you expect to be up there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you got passed over by a lot of teams that you, you would have you would have been surprised to hear passed yeah. you up. So you ended up saying Purdue. I posed this question because, honestly, I don't know. I think most people expected Purdue to take a decent step back. But, if, but at the same time, every time that you expect that they take a step back because, oh man, has Painter lost control of his program? They, they just pull an Elite Eight out of their ass. Well, that was a while ago. And actually, this was their first Elite Eight under Painter. 
They they were not deep tournament teams. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Even well, then they, then they pull a first round loss as a four seed out of their ass. Right. Which is still a better season than you expected. But in the context of the Big Ten season, which is all we have to go on here, they are usually competitive more often than not. With the exception of that blip of maybe three or four seasons at the beginning of this decade, since Painter has been there, they've been near the top of the conference. Um, so I don't actually have an answer for that question myself. You know, ask it to me on five different on five days in a row, and I might give you different answer. I might, you know, Purdue Indiana Purdue. I change my answer every day. I think, and I there's there's reasoning for both, and I don't know who this question should insult more. So, that being said... Well, either way, if you're a fan of a basketball team in Indiana, well then, you have plenty of reason for shame. Because either you had Purdue season, you had Indiana season, or you're a fan of Notre Dame, which is always, always a cause to be shamed. You could be a fan of Butler. I'm, Butler's fine. Yeah. I, st- I hate him because Gordon Hayward knocked us out of the tournament in 2010 or 11, I forget which year. Um, in the Final Four, we, we could have won that year. I know we could have. Uh, anyway, we men- I mentioned the schedule briefly. They had a couple of one-off results, which I wonder if you're going to come with me on this particular analogy. Viewed against their overall body of work, the games that Purdue played against Michigan State and Virginia were basically like Marlon Brando's performances in The Godfather and Streetcar Named Desire. Um, complete and utter brilliance, shining forth like two diamonds stuck in a pile of manure because, honestly, a lot of the rest of Marlon Brando's career, boy, if you think yeah. that he's, if you think that he was that good in everything he did, you are dearly mistaken. Well, um, yeah, you haven't watched anything else. Just um, go, go and watch, like, The Formula, if you think I'm wrong about that. Oh, the, um, the other game was Iowa. Yeah, they, so, right. <laughs> well, the Iowa team that was capable of giving up 90 points to anybody, yeah, Purdue got to 100 on them. When they, While allowing 68, though. Where everything they threw in the air went in the basket. Teams yeah. have those nights. And maybe that's all it is, is that Purdue had a couple of unbelievably hot shooting nights. That's certainly what it felt like in the MSU game, which, again, I've mentioned many times. I still can't wrap my head around. Um, yeah, the season sweep of Iowa is also it's, noteworthy. It's Eli but, Manning in the Super Bowl. I guess so. But there's also, yeah, because that would explain the fact, I mean, Purdue is the only non-Nebraska or Northwestern team to lose to Nebraska or Northwestern. Um, that's a bad loss. So, you mean Nebraska and Northwestern? They only lost to North, to Nebraska. Because I thought Iowa lost to Nebraska. Maybe they did. No, I think you're right. Yeah, shit. Oh, there goes that little comparison. All right. Uh, this is Iowa I lost to Nebraska, by the way. People forget that. Uh, so, I think we're going to see, despite the fact that they have a good amount of carryover, I think we're going to see an interesting roster transition here. The, so, they lose Jihad Proctor. He was a one-year transfer rental from High Point, I think. Um, they had a couple transfers out. Matt Harms. What? I think Tubby Smith coaches High Point. I think he does. So this guy ran away from Tubby Smith. <laughs> uh, yep. So, you know what I want to see? Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you before, but since you brought it up, and since, I mean, we got nothing else to talk about, 
so Toby Smith was once at Kentucky, right? Yes. When he was there, Draymond Green was committed to play for him at Kentucky. Then Toby Smith got fired by Kentucky. Draymond Green flips to Michigan State. Worked out pretty well. Toby Smith then goes to Minnesota. Towards the end of his tenure there, um, he had Alvin Ellis committed to play for him. Not as big of a star. You may not even remember the guy. He was a wing for MSU earlier this decade. He was all right. Never much more than a role player. I'm surprised that I don't remember. But when Toby Smith got fired there, Alvin Ellis flipped to Michigan State. So Tom Izzo got a superstar and a pretty good role player. What about Texas Tech? I don't know about that, but he went to High Point, and Jihad Proctor left High Point and went to Purdue. So what I am proposing is that at some point in the future, presumably when Draymond Green's NBA career is done, I don't think he'll participate before then, but those three guys should start a TBT team called We Fucking Hate Tubby. <laughs> oh, should, should it also be, should it include off the bench the motorcycle he rode in on at Texas Tech? <laughs> I guess so. And yeah, I, Texas I, Tech basketball is weird, man. I forgot about, well, and he had time at Memphis too, didn't he, for yeah. a hot minute? Perhaps this merits further reading. We might be able to put a whole five on five team together here. See, one of those like guys who, fled, guys. guys who fled from, what's that? Billy Gillespie, also a prominent... Uh, he was he coached at Kentucky? Yeah, but also did Smith, he... I think. Just, wasn't he just everywhere? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember... Nowhere near the extent that Larry Brown was. I don't remember him ever being a... But that was... I think his career was basically done like around the time I started paying attention to college basketball seriously, so I don't know. All um, of which... Again, you never know, do you, the wormholes that will get down just by me saying the name Jihad Proctor, casually flipping out, I think he went to this school, you bring up Tubby Smith, and off we go! Uh, See, I remember that because we were talking about, uh, because it was from an article I did on highpoint.com, right? Was that there's a High Point Solutions Stadium for Rutgers, which is now renamed to Shit Stadium. It was highpoint.com stadium or something like that. You could be right. I, yeah, sure. So I looked up things about High Point, and Tubby Smith was a notable thing about High Point. I can't believe he's still coaching. Like, why Why at this point? It, maybe he likes to play the ponies really aggressively or something. I, I don't know why else you'd... How many places has he been fired from now? He still wants to coach. Like, I, I just don't get it. Um, anyway, so John Proctor was a one-and-done for Purdue is all I'm saying. Uh, Matt Harms also transferred. He's going to spend his last year presumably fitting in with all the other large, gumpy white guys at BYU. Um, and No Gel Eastern is also going somewhere, which is not Purdue. For a hot second, he committed to Michigan, which was bizarre because ever, like the vibe coming off of him leaving Purdue was, I deserve to be the offensive focus, I'm the star, and going to Purdue, he was never going to be that. Even if Michigan hadn't picked up two other really good transfer guards, the best-case scenario for Eastern at Michigan would have been third banana behind Livers and Wagner. But now, again, Howard brought in a mercenary backcourt. There was no place for him. You know, to be fair... Look, if, his, if his aspiration is to replace Xavier Simpson, in other words, if what he wants is to be posterized by Ayodesumu, there are 12 other teams he can go to. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I haven't actually heard anything about where he is now going to end up. All I know is it's not going to be Michigan anymore. Um, I'll be so happy when all the guys that John Gross podiumed for are out of the league. 
Just out of college in general. Yeah, we MSU wanted Eastern pretty badly too. Um, I don't know if they were ever a serious contender for him, but Izzo wanted him. He was a good defensive player. He never really developed a complete offensive game, but he was a useful guy if he had been happy in his role, which he clearly wasn't. And that's totally his business. Because I mean, is he making the NBA as a six foot six defensive first guy? No, he's not. So. Go somewhere that'll let you chuck up enough shots that maybe you can disprove that about yourself. That's fine. Um, with what they've got coming back, I wonder if you agree. Like, to me, the obvious best way forward is build your offense around Travion Williams, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it's the it, it, it's not a really tall, lanky white guy, but it's about the next best thing you can get, which is just, like, pure mass. This is more of a Nick Ward guy, right? Pretty darn similar in their playing style, yeah. Thick Ward. Yep. Um, he doesn't have... I wouldn't say his post moves are quite as well developed as Ward's are, but he has come, he's come a long way with that. Um, and similarly has trouble staying on the floor, both for physical endurance and occasionally foul issues. Um, but he, I mean, he had a couple of mammoth games last year. I, that game they played against Michigan, I think they ended up losing. But he had, what, like 45 points or something like that? First, you also have then Emmanuel Duwuna, and he's, yeah, he's getting so well. And that's the next point is because Harms is gone, they're going to need a lot more out of Williams because there's no longer a reliable backup option. So yeah. and there's not a twin towers option that Purdue likes to do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so you're referring to the freshman. Yeah. So that's that would be Zach Eady, all seven foot three, two hundred ninety pounds. Yes, who one hundred percent seems the heir apparent, but he does not seem ready yet. No, he's going to need a hell of a lot of polish. Um, it seems like and a hell of a lot of Polish sausages yeah. <laughs> to, to sustain him. Yes, because he's lanky. Um, well, I don't know if I would call a two hundred ninety pound guy lanky. Maybe for seven three, I guess. But um, they're going to need a lot more out of Williams because. Dolona, despite, I hope I'm saying that right, despite being his classmate and being a decently regarded recruit, has not played basically at all. And like we said, Edie is not going to be ready. So in the front court, they're going to be a little bit thin. They still got, I think they've still got another year of Evan Boudreaux, though. And he had his big moments last year, too. Um, I wonder about his ceiling and consistency, though. That's about all I would say there. Do you ever see an incredibly tall white kid and just be like, oh my god, you're going to Purdue. <laughs> well, so there's a, there's incredibly tall, and then there's Purdue tall, and those are yeah. two different things. Like, you can be a very, very tall guy and not be a tall enough white guy for Purdue. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, the, the mysterious tall guy you referenced that was at my wedding, as it turns out, he played in a 16-1 game against UNC one year for the Eastern Kentucky Colonels. Yeah, you told me about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's... Because, I don't know, I'm sure that this is classist against really tall people, but when I see somebody that's 6'10", I always want to ask where they played basketball at so I can look up their stats. Because even if they were terrible, they went to college for free, so they can endure those questions for the rest of their life. That's fair. That's part of the deal. Uh, So, yeah. The moral of what we said about the roster so far, by the way, is Travion Williams really good. Front court, other than that, is a lot of uncertainty. They're tall. Well, sure, they'll have tall guys, but again, it, I don't think you're gonna, you can't expect much more out of Zach Eady at this point than five fouls. Um, he's got a ways to go before he's gonna be a contributor. 
Which again, it's fine. That's been the mole. I mean, none of Purdue's other seven foot plus guys were useful right away. AJ Hammonds took a while. Isaac Haas, Arms, none of them were useful as freshmen other than put, put the big guy in for a minute. Yeah, that's the big problem with Edie there. is that his last name does not start with a ha. Yeah. So he's really, he's breaking tradition. Maybe we'll just call him Hottie. Yeah. Heidi. Heidi. Um, Okay, so they're a little bit better shape in the backcourt. Um, Sasha Stavanovich can be lethal from three, but in some of the games where their offense struggled last year, you know, he's basically he's really very similar to Ryan Klein, the guy who filled that role before him, <clears throat> in that he's got the range to hit it from just about anywhere, but an offense where he's the number one threat isn't going to work because yeah. they just cinch down their top defender on him. And he struggles to create his own shot. So if they had a guy like Carson Edwards distracting the defense's attention, Stefanovic would probably be hitting four or five threes a game. Um, but Stefanovic is not the focal point of an offense, yeah, no, ideally. No, ideally not. So I'd say that he's not useful. I mean, they have other guys that have played a good amount, Aaron Wheeler, Eric Hunter. Neither of them really feel like focal offensive guys either. Um so really the key for Purdue, and why I mentioned despite a pretty good amount of roster carryover, they're going to have, it's going to be a very different looking cast if they're successful because they've got a pretty good freshman class coming in. Jaden Ivey is the headliner there. He's a top 80 guard. They have another top 100 combo guard in Ethan Morton, who is actually one of the more interesting. I really watched a little bit of his high school tape because Painter referred to him as being the best passer he's ever seen out of high school. I was like, well, all right, I guess that's interesting. And he reminds me more of Denzel Valentine than any high school player I've seen since Denzel Valentine. Well, so Brad Underwood said that about Georgie Bishanishvili, who, as it just so happens, has started no games at point guard. Uh, <laughs> he say. definitely also saw um, Mark Smith as like a Jason Kidd type of player. Yikes. Prior to him, you know, flaming out after one year. Yeah. Um, Anyway, they actually have a bigger freshman class than that because they yeah. redshirted a couple other guys yep. from last year, so they're really going to have five newcomers. Yeah. And so it could be a transitional year. Yeah, the redshirted guys, Brandon Newman and Mason Gillis, were, I mean, they redshirted for a reason because they were not the type of recruits that were probably going to do much as true freshmen. Um, but the, make no mistake, that group of guards is going to determine whether Purdue turns things around really quickly or if they have to build for another year or two before they're ready um, for another you know, contention period at the top of the conference. But so really, I, Purdue's whole season next year is about how do we make the most of Travion Williams? That's, that's really what it is. Yeah, functionally so. Because they've got no other pieces that they know they can rely on to carry them. No, um, I mean Stefanovic again, good role player. Yeah, but you know the thing that you're building your entire strategy around is Travion Williams because everything else is pretty unproven. Yeah, and they would be justified in building not only for next year around because, I mean, Travion Williams' skill set does not feel like an NBA skill set. Neither did um, Kofi's. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, again, he's the draft is. I mean, there's still almost another month. The guys can pull out of the draft, so. How many of those guys do you think are going to come out? I, You know, we'll see. I think at least two, if not three. I guess, I, yeah, I'd have to... I mean, for example, I, I don't think there's any damn way that Aaron Henry is staying in the draft. He seems determined to get there as fast as he can, but I have not seen him 
projected as drafted in any projections. So I can't imagine he's willing to go to be, you know, basically a roster flyer. I think he's coming back, but, but yeah, no, I, I would like once again to state for the record though, that I think Ethan Morton is going to be a really, really good player in this league. It might not be next year because boy, the thing about underclassman Denzel Valentine was he could make the dumbest turnovers you would ever think of because he's, <laughs> he was such a creative passer that he definitely saw some things that realistically weren't there, especially adjusting to the size and speed of the players at this level. So there probably will be an adjustment period. I can't imagine Painter is just going to throw a freshman the keys and say, all right, you're running the point from day one. Um, but he's got the – I mean, he's – again, he's an atypical body type for a Big Ten point guard. But he's got that kind of skill set that – I mean, really – Amizo was not utilizing Valentine to his maximum potential until he made him the point guard and said, you just do your thing. You feel like Painter's got to make a bit of a statement here, though, because not only have they had a disappointing season, but now he's attracted a bit of heat for his criticism of <clears throat> Nojel Eastern. Yeah, we. so I guess we'd be remiss in not talking about that, although it felt like that was fairly well-tempered and blew over pretty quickly. I think the fact that Eastern since then has... He's come across as maybe a little impulsive with the way the Michigan thing happened. And it, you know, there's also kind of the reality that we've got three years of tape on the guy. And we know that, honestly, what appears to be Painter's assessment of him is truth. It's reality. Whereas the guy may have a little bit higher opinion of his own skills than is borne out by the tape. I've seen Matt Painter say things like that about Yeah, it was, well, it was strange. And this is. Perhaps the lasting lesson from that whole saga is never talk to Dan Dockich. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it gives Dan Dockich the ability to talk. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle Empire!